Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. All right, we're getting closer to a big weekend of football. we got a Jazz game tonight. That was a nice win. Are they back on track or are they going to stumble again after beating up on a really shorthanded Philadelphia 76ers team? Toronto Raptors coming into town. They're kind of a 500-ish team this year. Won the championship, which was awesome, but... Kawhi Leonard leaves and the, the rebuild begins, right? And where do you go from there? So we'll see how the Jazz handle the Raptors tonight. We're going to start with a guy who's been playing well for the Jazz. And, you know, Derek Favors at his best when he was healthy, when he looked really athletic because he felt good. He gave the Jazz a huge advantage as a backup five. He was destroying other backup centers in the NBA. And I think that's back to where the Jazz are now with Hassan Whiteside. He is destroying backup centers in the NBA. He is really taking it to guys. His rebounds per minute, really good. Now, the rebound total isn't a massive number because he's not playing that many minutes, but rebounds per minute, I think he's been really active. He's good finishing around the rim. Uh, he is an above average, well above average backup center in the NBA. I think that's how that's going to play out this year. Here's Sasan Whiteside with the media. In the NBA, who have you been around that watches the most Oh, most of couple guys. I watch a lot of film. A couple guys. Can you think of anyone in particular? Or, I mean, who comes to mind? Um, Don watches a lot of film. Um, who else watched a lot of film? Dane watched a lot of film. Um, who else? Uh, D. Way watched a lot of film. It's just a lot of guys. Yeah. Kind of along the same lines. Uh, Quinn's a guy that prepares a lot. Yeah. Do you think that he sleeps? No. <laughs> no he don't take no naps. He's up all day. Is that unique in the coaches that you've been around? Kind of the amount that he prepares. Mike was just telling us he'll send texts to you guys like two o'clock in the morning. About yeah, he's just preparing, you know. Um, uh, he he just really loves his job, you know. Um, he got a million plays in his in his head, so you know he's just one of them guys. that's just he just really loved being a coach, and you know the, the Jazz got a good one. What's it like playing with Mike? Um, I don't really get as many minutes as I want with Mike, but um, you know when I'm out there, it's uh. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool, you know. I don't really get that many minutes with Mike, though. What's it like in practice, then? Do you, do you get matched up against I'm more so on Don's team than yeah. Mike's. They know me split it up. They know me put on Mike and go bear together. So, not as much. Why do you want more minutes with Mike? Of course. Of well, course. Why? Because he likes to throw lobs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, kind of an odd one. How do you go about deciding what shoes to wear during your game? Um... T- I go, it just depends on the jersey too, you know, the jersey, the feel, you know, how you feel like you're going to be playing. I think um, next game they got Scotty Barnes at the five next game, so probably choose a lighter Kobe, a light, little lighter shoe. Just depends on what you think, how you think the game's going to be. you ever switch shoes at halftime or during the game? Uh, nah, nah, I stay committed. I know uh, Jordan switched, but yeah, like midway through, I think one of the, I think the Atlanta game actually. Yeah. Oh, okay. But, yeah, now nah, um, 
my shoe, my shoe preference switched out throughout the years. You know, I'm pretty much um, I'm a Kobe guy now. So, are you concerned with the Kobe deal now ending, then? Uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. But I stocked up on Kobe's um, last year, so I, I got over 40 pairs. So, okay. uh, you know, I don't I don't brag and boast them like other guys in the league, but I got a lot of sneakers. You're just prepared. Yeah, I'm just prepared. Like PJ. Hey, you said it, man. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what are uh, what are this team's kind of? Every, whenever things are not going well, it seems like everyone's talking about how the transition defense needs to. Work. Yeah. What are what are kind of this team's keys to transition defense? Where's the where's the room? For? Um, I think it's more so um, just picking and choosing one of the offensive rebound. You know, a lot of times we got size over a lot of people, and um, we got a great rebounding team. We got um, really great rebounding wings, and like guys like Royce and Pascal, and just knowing when to go for the offensive glass instead of just going back. You know, um, I don't think it's I don't think it's that big of a concern right now, though. There's it's on Whiteside. Now here's the veteran who's seen it all and is always the uh, the voice of reason and the calm in the middle of the storm. Here's Mike Conley. We've heard Donovan is pretty heavy film watcher. Mm-hmm. Is that true? And kind of where do you see him doing the most part? Yeah, Donovan's definitely a- another one. Um, he's um, he's obviously preparing himself every game. I mean, the day before games, he's watching every game. You know, he's a big NBA fan regardless so he's watching every game and he comes in the next day and asks people did you see that play or this play did you see what they did this time out and uh, I think they're going to start this guy on me and this guy on you he's just already you know putting scenarios in his mind and uh, just from all the film he's watching and uh, it's impressive you know from somebody who's so young and still developing as a player uh, in this league. Donovan was telling us about like he had PTSD almost when it came to his ankle at the beginning of the season, like jumping on it. Did you experience that at all with your hamstring? Um, not. I mean, you get get a little bit when you first start, like maybe in training camp when you're just trying to, you know, you're ramping it up at another level that you haven't done in a while. But um, after that, you know, you just start start to get used to feeling yourself again, feeling like yourself again, and. Um, and not thinking about it too much. Just, I think when you think about it is when you start moving different and things pop up. So uh, I just try not to think about it at all. How hard is it not to think about it, though? Um, when I'm competing, it's, it's pretty easy to, to shut it out. You know, and I think that's why the hamstring was so frustrating last season is because I literally don't I don't think about it and it just pop up, you know, and, and when I'm feeling the best I felt, you know, so. Um, you know, it, it it is what it is, but I'm prepared myself in a way that um, hopefully, you know, we won't have to deal with the issue. And if we do, it's not something that's prolonged or, or a long time. We hey. talked to you after. Sorry, I, I guess sort of related to what Andy was talking about with the video stuff, the sort of reputation of Quinn is that he's like prepares all the time and he's got playbook inside the dictionary. And that's how Hassan described it. Have you seen a coach, or do you know of coaches that prepare? Like, is he an anomaly? Is he different? Um, yeah, uh, I think there's a lot of coaches that do prepare, but I think there's nobody who does it at such a like. I don't know if he sleeps at night. You know, it's kind of one of those kind of situations where it's, he's I asked him just. That yesterday, he wouldn't answer me. Uh, yeah, well, that tells you that's that's the answer right there. You know, um, he's just you know never shuts his mind off. He'll send texts at you know two two in the morning and be a long text about 
some plays and different things that are on his mind or what we can change or tweak. And um, I, I can't say that I've gotten that from every every other coach I've had. So we asked you after the Miami game about your relative your relatively few number of shots and told us that you were like making a point to try to get the ball moving, kind of find other guys uh, so the ball didn't stick. Did you see a difference last night? I mean, obviously Philly comes in kind of depleted team, mm-hmm. but. Where did, where did you feel the offense was at last night? Well, yeah, obviously they were down a couple guys, but I thought we played a lot better. I thought we, you know, the ball moved a lot more like we're, what we're used to seeing, you know, multiple passes, multiple drives. Um, you can just tell when, you know, Rudy's getting dunks and guys are getting open looks, and um, that's the style of basketball that we've, we've been trained to play and we want to play. So uh, as a point guard, you know, it's my job to try to, you know, make that happen and make that ship run smooth. and. Um, so for me, if it's if it's sacrificing a few shots here and there to, to make sure that you know that ball is moving, um, then I'll do that. But you know, at the same time, you know, I think that we have so many scores on this team, so many guys who deserve you know looks at that rim, and uh, there's only one ball. So you know, we gotta you know we, we do our best that it could be anybody's night, any night. Um, that's what's you know why we're so thankful to be a part of this team is we, we don't rely on just you know one or two guys. We got a bunch of guys who can do it. Transition defense has been kind of a consistent talking point among the guys after this game, you know, especially in the losses. Guys consistently need to be better in that particular area. Where do you feel like you guys are out there? Where do you feel like what what are kind of the keys in that regard? And and, and how are you guys doing at that? Yeah, um, it's no secret. Transition defense is huge for us, and especially in the last few weeks and the losses that we've had. And um, what we've always thought as being one of the big keys for our transition defense is our ability to crash the boards offensively. Um, the more we crash, the, the slower the, the transition um, opportunities are for the for the team coming back at us. So it's not just about just running back on defense, but it is about, you know, playing with force and still putting pressure on, on teams and making them box us out. Um, maybe even getting, the, you know, offensive rebounds, getting extra possessions. But when we do that, we, we are, our transition defense is a lot is a lot better. We slow them down a little bit more, and we're able to get matched up a lot quicker. All right, there's Mike Conley talking Jazz, Jazz and Raptors tonight. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we are talking football with Riley Jensen, our college football insider. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. After a much-needed bye week, Kalani Sitaki and the Cougars begin a two-game stretch to end the regular season on the road as they square off against the Eagles of Georgia Southern. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 7 with a postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, we are joined now by Riley Jensen, our college football insider and mental performance coach. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Best state award winner, Smart Rain, has an incredible Black Friday offer running for the entire month of November. Smart Rain is giving free controllers along with a free Apple iPad to commercial properties to sign up with a paid cellular hosting subscription. Please visit SmartRain.net or call 877-346-3333. Riley, good morning. What's happening, fellas? Well, there's some big football games in front of us. We're getting right down to it. Next to last week of the regular season, there are only three games matching ranked teams. 
10 o'clock in the morning on ABC. It's Michigan State and Ohio State. That's number seven and number four. At 1.30, Arkansas and Alabama. 21st ranked Arkansas trying to take down the Crimson Tide on uh, CBS. Good good luck with that. And then at 5.30, prime time. It's the Utes and the Ducks. And everyone outside of the Pac-12 will be rooting for Utah to beat Oregon, knock them out of the playoff spot, open the door for somebody else, fill in the name of your school here. So the question to you is, what are the odds the Utes are going to do the Big 12 and the Big 10 and the SEC runner-up and Cincinnati and Notre Dame a favor and take one team out of the mix? Well, I think just like the Pac-12 this year, I think the, the Utes are hard to read, right? I mean, you have you have a Stanford game where they look like they're, they're world beaters. You have an Arizona game where, uh, you know, not everything was as crisp and as clean as they would hope. Um, I do think that this type of a game, you don't, you don't have to do a lot to get your guys up for it. I mean, they're obviously going to be excited. They're obviously going to be motivated. They're obviously going to be, you know, focused in on the task at hand. Um, this is this is an interesting Utah team. If I asked you guys, out of Utah, Utah State, and BYU, who who is the highest scoring offense? Would have you guessed that it would be Utah? I mean, I I, I just didn't see that. I, I I don't think I felt that. And then I started looking through deeper into some of the stats, this is this is a fairly good offensive team for the University of Utah when it comes to third down conversions, when it comes to scoring, when it comes to keeping the chains moving. There's there's a lot of good things going on offensively and so I'm I'm really interested to see what they do. Um, obviously, you know, when you think about Oregon you always think about speed. But but un, under under this coach, this has definitely been a team that has tried to improve their toughness and improve their their line of scrimmage play. And I actually think that because of that, that the youths actually line up better against Oregon than maybe some other teams that try and spread you out and go side to side on the sidelines instead of going downhill on you. And those are the teams that I've seen Utah struggle with in the past more than I've seen teams that try and go downhill, and I feel like this Oregon team is a team that's going to try and run it, and they're going to try and establish the run, and they're going to try and keep running up the middle until they break through, and that I think that bodes well for the University of Utah. Yeah, I do too. How much does it matter when you get in that huddle and everybody in that huddle believes the quarterback can make a play? Oh, I think I think it makes a big difference, and 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 sometimes it's just the perception that he can make a play, right? Like it doesn't even have to be warranted. Now it's better in the case of of you know this case with the quarterback at the University of Utah. You you know that he has money in the bank. You know that he he's made plays, and that these guys are believing in him. But sometimes it can just be perception. But there's no question that and that. I think I've given this example before, but when when a guy's playing really well for you and you really believe in him, it takes the pressure off of playing perfectly. And when you're just trying to play excellent and you don't have to play perfect, it's weird that you'll 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 kind of expand your play. And I'll and I'll give an example, and I think I gave this example at Utah State the other day. But when you have a really good wide receiver, and when I played in college, I played with Kevin Curtis, and his what I would call catching radius was so wide, right? Like you could. You could throw it high, you could throw it to the side, you could throw it low, he was going to catch the ball. And then what happens is, is all of a sudden, because there's no pressure on me to be perfect on those throws, you start throwing to him better, 
right? You start putting it right on his helmet because you don't feel that pressure to do it. And I think that's true with this offensive line, especially that with rising playing quarterback, that the offensive line doesn't have to be perfect. They don't have to win every single battle, and he can bail you out of some of those things and make you look good and not make you look bad by by missing your guy, and then it's automatically a sack. He actually will escape. He'll make a play with his feet. He'll make a play with his arm. And then what happens is it takes the pressure off, and all of a sudden you ease into your job as an offensive lineman, and it's easier to be excellent than it is to be perfect, especially from the mental aspect of things. Riley Jensen joining us. So when you look at Utah's offense versus Oregon's defense, especially if Utah's offense is shorthanded, uh, maybe Tavon Thomas will be back. Maybe they just held him out for one week and make sure he was ready for this game. And when you look at uh, you know uh, Bernard's ability to catch out of the backfield, assuming he can go too, have they got all the answers no matter what Oregon does? Or is there some point here where the Oregon defense can be the team that – uh, holds the Utah offense down a little bit, and maybe they don't get 30 points, and maybe they don't get the 450 yards that Kyle Winningham is talking about every week? Well, I, I certainly think, and again, I, I'm not trying to bail out on this question, but it's really hard to predict with with the Pac-12, right? Because you have this Oregon team that's played really, really well in some games, and then it's had some head scratchers. I mean, you, if you wanted to take head-to-head battles and you look at the Stanford game for the University of Utah and then you look at the Stanford game for Oregon, you go, oh, well, Utah's going to run away with this. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think both of these teams are going to be up for this game. But I do. I, my personal gut feeling is that Oregon, with its team speed and with, with some schemes, and then not, not, they're not going to overlook Utah. Utah's past the point where they like go into a game against a Pac-12 opponent and they're overlooked in any way, shape, or form. And so the guys, the players on that team are going to be up for this game. You know, there's a couple of local guys with Noah Sewell and you got Jackson Powers White that are that, that play. They're going to be excited to play against the University of Utah. They're going to be talking about some of the guys and giving scouting reports to the guys that play, they played with in high school. I just feel like this is going to have a big game atmosphere. I think it's going to come down to to three or four plays that are super important, and the team that's most dialed in for those three or four plays is going to be the team that wins this game. And I don't think I, – I could not see this game being more than a 10-point win for either team. How do you handle Thibodeau, the great defensive end, edge rusher, linebacker type of guy who's just so good? So I think, uh, you know, my, my experience as an offense coordinator is this. You, you see a guy on film, he looks really good, he makes great plays. I think you always give your guys the confidence that you can do it with your normal scheme, but you also have contingency plans in for somebody like Thibodeau. He's, he's, he's an unbelievable rush end. He's, he, he influences the run game with his ability to get upfield and get on guys. But you don't want to take away you don't want to take away from your offensive line and your guys and they're they're also Pac-12 football players that that play really good football. So I think I think you start the game and you just you you play it straight up. You see if it's possible to block in with one guy. If it's possible to use those schemes and then then if it's not, then you get creative. You bring a tight end over. You try and block him with two different guys. You you know in your passing game you you would chip. 
or not even chip, but double team with an offensive lineman and your and your running back. But those are things that you kind of scheme in in your opening series, right? So you you're running some of the plays that you think you want to run, and you're kind of looking to see like is is he going to be consistently you know a problem today or not? And that's really what the first eight plays or the first nine plays plays of the game are is to find out like can we handle Thibodeau? What kind of what kind of defense are they going to line up when we're in trips? What kind of defense are they going to line up when we're in two back? What are they going to do when we're in one back? And that's what that's what those first eight to ten plays are for, so you can fill out, and then you can eliminate half of the playbook and go, okay, this is the way we need to handle it going forward. But in general, when you have a great player like him, you've got to use the screen game to slow him down a little bit. You've got to run at him a little bit. You've got to run away from him a little bit. And I always think I always think with great players that are on the D line, it's important to get going side to side with your running game. Get those guys running a little bit. See if you can get them a little bit tired in the first half. So then the second half, you can really like kind of go at them in a normal way when you get to the second half. So the whole psychology of this game is all you can totally outthink yourself all over the place here. One, you got you fans who are worried. Well, it was great blowing Stanford out. Now we got to admit Stanford rolled over. I mean, they had some guys quit. Arizona right. did not. Arizona may not be good enough, but they kept playing. Now they weren't yep. they weren't good enough ultimately, but they kept playing. And maybe the youths got caught looking ahead, like, yeah, we beat one last place team. Here comes another one. I mean, well, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. So they didn't quite bring that extra level of energy that I assume they're going to bring to this Oregon game. But you're also probably going to play Oregon again in two weeks with much higher stakes. So. You're the mental performance coach here. How much should coaches be getting their guys fired up? How much should guys be trying to, you know, not play out of their mind? Or there's one game per week, don't worry about it. You amp yourself up every Saturday or Friday night in the case of the Stanford game and the Pac-12 title game, and you just go with that and stop out thinking the room. Yes, I think, look, you know, let's go 1-0 this week. Whatever the coach cliche is, they're actually, they're, they're fa- in my opinion, they're fairly psychologically sound because what, you, what you're really trying to tell players is you just need to be focused on the moment. If you start thinking about two weeks down the line as a coach and as a player, you start going too far into the future. Now you're trying to control things that you can't control. You can only control the here and now. I do think that you, you, you want to manage a little bit that first quarter of them getting too hyped up for an opportunity like this, Right. You want to you want to play well, and um, regardless of the outcome, you want to feel like you were focused in, you were dialed in, and that you're playing the best football that you can play. Now, if that results in you playing again in two weeks, which I think we all know on the outside is probably likely, um, that's great. But what you want what you want from these guys is just to be hyper focused on this week and this opponent and what you're trying to do right here, right now. And that's really how people who are successful in life are. They're not, they're not distracted at nine in the morning while they're, you know, um, on a phone call with DJ and PK on like all the things that they have to do during the day. They're just focused. They're here. They're, they're interested in the conversation. They're talking about those things. And then when they get to those things during the day, then they're hyper-focused on those things. And, you know, that's true in golf. That's true in life. That's true in football. It's just a, to do the best that you can to really stay present in the moment. And there's lots of tricks to that. 
But I think coaches are pretty good about playing that game with the guys. Like, hey, this is the most important game on our schedule right now. And I think if those guys think in those terms and they play well, that win or lose, when they get a chance to play them in the Pac-12 championship, it'll be good for them. It'll be really good for them. Oh, is it my turn? I lost focus. <laughs> <laughs> I know I know you were thinking about all the things that all the important things that you need to do today instead of talking to me, right? So yeah. lie on the sofa, watch sports, lie on the sofa more, go to the fridge, get food, watch sports. Yeah, our days are pretty complicated. Yeah. I'm not a, I'm not a feeling hundred percent, so I've been uh, taking must have taken three naps yesterday, so I've probably got some more on Oh my gosh, naps are so underrated. They are so (laughs) underrated. Naps are so underrated. I think I took two before noon, and then around 4.30, I went down for another one, put up a sign, do not disturb. Uh, You're doing it right, PK, because that means there's not a lot of stress in your life. If you fall asleep (laughs) in the middle of the day, you're doing good, man. Or I'm just uh, good at ignoring it, one of the two. Um, So Okay. So uh, that's also very healthy. I don't think you know how psychologically healthy that is. Oh, yeah. I, I feel 100%. I feel so much better, man. Thank you. Uh, Utah's defense has shown a little vulnerability. They've got a running quarterback, and the Cats had some success in that way last Saturday. What do you think Oregon is going to do to attack the defense? Well, I think I think what you have to be careful of when you, when you have a good running quarterback is getting too excited about that uh, on relying on that. Um, if, if you'll remember when Tyler Huntley was here, one of the things that um, frustrated me about Tyler, and I think he's really kind of grown into his own as a pro now and all those sorts of things, and I think he did that at the University of Utah by the time he was in his last year of starting, but. When, when you are a running quarterback, there's, there's a temptation to do one of two things. One is to prove to everybody that you can really run the ball and just to show off how good you can run the ball. Or number two, show off to everybody that, hey, I'm not just a runner, I can throw the ball. I think the key for Oregon is to just make sure that he stays within himself, that he runs the ball when he should run the ball, and that he throws the ball when he should throw the ball on time. And those are the most dangerous quarterbacks because if you get a beat on the fact that he's jumpy and he wants to get out and run, it's a lot easier to defend than if it naturally happens within the context of the offense. And those are the back-breaking quarterbacks. I think that's why Jaron Hall's playing at a high level, right? I think that's why this quarterback at Oregon can play at a high level is because they do it within the context of the offense. I think Cam Rising has an ability to do that as well. And so when, when a quarterback runs when he's supposed to run, and he throws when he's supposed to throw, that's much more dangerous than just really trying to force the issue of running the ball. Now, when he does run, it's dangerous. I think Utah's going to have to make some sort of an adjustment. They're going to have to think about a spy technique. That doesn't always work very well because then all of a sudden you're taking a guy out of the defense and he's just watching the quarterback waiting for him to run, and you're kind of taking him out of the pass game and the run game when you do that. So. It's a, it's a tough deal. When, it, when a quarterback does it well, it's, it's really, really tough on defenses. Your Aggies now have two teams that look like they're overmatched on the way to the division title. You're buying your tickets to the Mountain West Conference title Let's game? Not that you know where it's going to be. Let's talk about the Aggies, baby. <laughs> that was, hey, man, this is a fun team. 
And uh, I, I should have bought in my TK a long time ago. I can't believe I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't drinking the Kool Aid early in the season. But this is a confident bunch. This is a team that's really, really fun to watch. Um, I had the opportunity to talk to a, a player on the team that I coached in high school, and he goes. He was kind of giving me all the coach speak at first. He's like, ah, you know, Coach Anderson, he's just an incredible motivator. And, uh, you know, the team's really come together. And I'm like, hey, dude, like, this is Riley, man. Like, tell me the truth. Don't... And he goes, no, I'm telling you, man, like, things have come together. I feel like he doesn't go overboard on the motivation, but he does enough to, like, keep you fired up. He goes, all the guys that have transferred in and all the guys that have been on the team are getting along really well right now. And he just said, this is a team that doesn't care about who gets the success. And I, I just really like that comment because, to me, that means guys' egos are checked at the door and they're just like, whoever, whatever it takes to win, we're, we're all in. And, that, and that's what I like about this team. Yeah, you know, Tompkins has had an unbelievable year. He's leading the nation in receiving. He, you know, he makes unbelievable catches. But there's all kinds of guys. That are that are making plays up there, and it's it's a fun team to watch. Really, really fun team to watch. So I think I think yes, I think I do need to buy my Mountain West Conference tickets. I'll probably buy them Saturday right after the game. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Riley. As always, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you again next week. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on. There's our college football insider, Riley Jensen. When we come back, Tim Lacombe, talking hoops, our basketball insider, former Ute, former Cougar. We talked to him about the Jazz win over the Sixers. Talked to him about the Utes, or the Utes, the Cougars' big win over Oregon. The Utes play Oregon in football this weekend, but BYU really took it to him in basketball. Talked to him about that game, and then just the changes he's seeing at BYU as uh, they prepare to move into the Big 12. And he is definitely seeing some changes. And his former BYU assistant coach, uh, he knows all too well what's going on. So uh, Tim's coming up. Stay with us. It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It's the final home game of the regular season for Blake Anderson and Utah State as the 8-2 Aggies welcome in Wyoming for a key Mountain West Conference showdown. Listen all week long for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch all the play-by-play action beginning with the Aggie pregame show Saturday at 5. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We talked to Tim Lacombe in the 9 o'clock hour in yesterday's show, but uh, he had some takes on the Jazz and the BYU basketball team, but more uh, interesting, I found the changes on how he thinks uh, the BYU athletic department is evolving and more of the attitudes around it are evolving. Uh, so you hear some last nights some yesterdays, and it's about the Tuesday games, but uh, the conversation is well worth hearing now. Here's Tim Lacombe.
Jazz Radio Studio Analyst and Rock and Roll Hall of Famer joins us now on the Smart Rain guest line. Best State Award winner Smart Rain has an incredible Black Friday offer running for the entire month of November. Smart Rain is giving free controllers along with free Apple iPad to commercial properties and sign up with a paid cellular hosting subscription. Please visit SmartRain.net or call 877-346-3333. Tim, good morning. Man, I like the way you let that marinate. <laughs> Woo! I did that just for you. That was uh, that kind of got the hair standing up on the back uh, of my neck. I have so many things to talk to you about. Frugality so, at BYU in and other the words, Big Twelve. In other words, do in, in other words, don't get off track. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> okay, leave that All to right. PK. If that needs to be done, he'll do it. Uh, okay. But before we get into any of the, the bigger picture issues, let's just go to the most recent games that people are still buzzing about. Um, more shocking score, the Jazz by 35 in an NBA game, or BYU dominating Oregon for 40 minutes in Portland? Oh, by far the BYU game. Um, yeah. Like, that was... That was just amazing to watch, really. Uh, and I didn't see it all. Obviously, got the Jazz game going, but snuck a peek. We had both TVs going out in the lobby. And, um, yeah, it, it was, you know, if you told me going in, uh, obviously the Oregon team is veteran. And uh, BYU just beat a veteran San Diego State team, too. So it's the way they're doing it, I think. It's, you know, um, gone to the days of, scoring 80 and trying to hold them to 79, you know? And, and I think they're just really big physical, and it was just really evident that their physicality really bothered Oregon last night. Yeah, you look at it. I mean, the Sixers are 0-5 without Embiid, and so – and that's obviously well out right. of too. And Dybul's out, too. You know, there was, yeah, there was a host of sure. guys out for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas uh, BYU – And I'm a BYU guy, you know, what can I say? Oh, me too. I'm even. I've been a BYU guy longer than you've been a BYU guy. Yeah, I think probably, you. I think you're further up the queue yeah. than I am for those uh, coaches' circle tickets. Right. I mean, I uh, I've been a BYU fan since Chosich. There's just no doubt about it. Uh, yeah. With that in mind, uh, I think the thing that surprised me the most was BYU's ability to lock down defensively. I'm not sure when the last time I saw that was. No, it's been it's been a minute. And, uh, you know, I think Mark's done a great job since he's gotten there of kind of really em- emphasizing guarding physicality, rebounding, you know, all those things. And, and But, man, it was a clinic last night, seriously. Because, you know, we played Oregon a couple times. Uh, we played them, uh, you know, prior to them. It was, it was when Dana first kind of got there for Creighton and was building his thing. Um, so we played them. In a home and home, we played them in the NCAA tournament. And in the NCAA tournament, they kind of did to us what BYU did to them last night, just kind of dominated. And so it was really kind of interesting to see the tables turned. Uh, BYU's got some really exciting young guys. I love uh, I love Foose Traore uh, from Mali by way of Wasatch Academy. Um, watched him from the time he was eighth grader. And he's just, he's a man. And, and he went in there and just hit me, you know, so it was it was fun to watch. Definitely the most surprising outcome, uh, but it was also really good to see the Jazz play great again. 
Tim McComb joining us, Jazz Radio studio analyst. So I'm curious, uh, and maybe it's just hard to know after three games, but Oregon has been a Sweet 16 or better team in four of the last five NCAA tournaments. And the year there wasn't a tournament, they won the league, and maybe they would have had another Sweet 16 run. So BYU fans, I'm sure, would like to draw a straight line to it. Can you do that? Are there too many transfers? Is Oregon not Oregon yet? What do you think? No, I think Oregon's Oregon. Uh, You know, you look at their – I mean, just look at a couple of the guys they roll out there. I mean, Jacob Young's an All-American, you know, transferred from Texas. Uh, Quincy Garia – it's funny because we recruited Young because of a connection to – he's Michael Young's son with Coach Rose um, at Houston. And then uh, Gary A., the kid from Syracuse that transferred, is, is terrific. And then Will Richardson's just a – he's an amazing guard. And then they've got size and they've got skill. And so, no, it, this is an Oregon team. And I, I think that Oregon team will probably be one of the best teams in the Pac-12. So – yeah, BYU didn't just beat them. They really, from from the beginning to the end, they dominated them. And uh, it was interesting here after the game, Dane Altman saying he was embarrassed, you know, uh, you know, because that's what BYU did to them. They just really basically took them apart. Yeah, they really did. Do you think Marcelo's an NBA guy? Gosh dang, man. I see. It's just funny to know how it equates, right? Like, um, I saw a stat last night somewhere out there in the Twitterverse that he's shooting somewhere 71% in his last, uh, like 90 for 175 in his last 45 games, something like that. I mean, that's pretty darn good. And he doesn't turn the ball over, and he's physical, and he wins. So, I mean, not certainly not like right out of the gate, but I would imagine – you know, we've seen guys. You know, watch T- we watched McConnell the other night with the Pacers. Just you know, with, we just basically will his team to victory over the Jazz. You know, with with uh, great hustle and had five offensive rebounds in the first half. So there's certainly a place out there for guys like that. But it becomes a numbers game, a fit game, and you know, there's a little bit. I would imagine a little bit of luck involved. The NBA doesn't really want six two guys. If you're at six two. Um... I, I hear Ed Lamb talking when PK and I were sitting there to, at a uh, BYU football media day. He was talking about measurables and guys they can develop. And, you know, so you got college coaches, and you probably did this when you were recruiting too. You're like, I like that high school kid, but I need kids who are bigger, quicker, more physical, longer arms, and I will teach them to play basketball later. And then the guys who are actually doing it right now, but if you don't have the measurables, so there are 6'2 guys in the NBA, so you can't say that there's no shot, but there aren't that many spots for 6'2 guys in the NBA. Some of them are already locked down, and I guess that's why you say luck in a numbers game. Well, yeah, I mean, because I coached a guy who won the National Player of the Year, you know, in college. And his game didn't translate to that level, and so it's a different game. And but you you hit it on the head. It's it is like you have to think about getting taken to the right situation, the right team who's got some availability for a guy like you who you know will work with you through it. So there's a lot of those avenues, and and I think some guys um, you know find that fit, and others don't. But I coached a lot of really good six you know six to six two or three players that really their career ended 
when when college was over, or they went and played, you know, for a couple of years overseas and then kind of moved on. The way I look at the Jazz is, yeah, they didn't have Embiid, so they should have won. But I was more excited about the Jazz being back in rhythm. And I think that's the important thing is for them to play in the flow and in the rhythm of the way they're supposed to play. And if they do that, they'll have success. And I thought they did that against the Sixers. Yeah, you know, we talked about that last night with Ron and um, David after the game, Jake and I, in crosstalk. Uh, if you if you haven't caught that segment, boy, it's riveting. But anyway, um, I, I think that that was what came up. It was like you can look at this thing and say, yeah, Philly was missing all these guys. But sometimes it's harder to play right that way because you you really can do any, pretty much anything you want to do and you're probably going to find a way to win the game. But I, I really do believe that the emphasis from the sounds of it, the emphasis this week, Hey, we've got to push the ball up. You know, too much of what we're doing right now is in the half court. And teams really have, um, you know, I look at the NFL right now and watch what Mahomes went through, you know, for several weeks in Kansas City. I mean, teams, when a team kind of changes the game, and you know, the other teams have opportunities to study film all summer, all offseason, and, and catch up. And I do think the Jazz were ahead of the game with the, with the ability to shoot that many threes. Um, but I think a big byproduct of their success was they did it early in shot clock often. And that's kind of been a missing ingredient when, since, you know, when the Jazz went through this little lull. So last night, that was a point of emphasis. Ron was in the broadcast was saying, hey, you know, he's calling out the number on the shot clock when they crossed half court. And it was markedly faster. So I think finding those easy baskets in transition with all those shooters just makes sense. Hey, I want to switch gears and, and talk to you a little bit about uh, BYU and the Big 12 and also uh, Kalani Sataki and however many teams are going to come after him. There's obviously three openings in the Pac-12, and, and his name has been linked to two of them. And bigger picture than even that, BYU had built-in advantages in the whack in the Mountain West. As the independent, they've been forced to stretch and grow and, and raise some money and do some things that maybe they didn't have to do before, which is good preparation for the Big 12, where I think they're going to have to do a lot of things you just don't have to do when you're dominating a league that doesn't have the same resources. You know, But there's also a mindset to be in a $60, $80, $100 million athletic department and paying people a lot more money. I mean, there's a mental jump to be made there to the point that at Utah, we've heard people like Chris Hill talk about, it felt like I got a brand new job when we went to the Pac-12. But we also know BYU isn't run just at the coach athletic department president level. Do you think everybody's ready to make that jump in transition because they're about to step into a whole new world and competing to keep Kalani Sataki is one thing, and it's a big thing, but it's also one thing for one person and one coach in a moment, as opposed to joining a league, and everything is different going forward all the time. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. I think, you know, I'm going to start with the beginning of that and what BYU's been able to do in independence. Uh, you know, I, I know there were a lot of people uh, that said that this was not sustainable, that, you know, it was going to really bring the, the athletic programs to their knees, you know, all the different things that were said. Um, so hats off, really, first of all, to 
the administration down there. I mean, Tom Holmes burned the candle and, you know, and his staff has, they've just done a great job of, of making it through, you know, what really was a, a difficult thing for the, for the university. Um, but they've, they've navigated it great and it's worked out great. Um, you know, I think what I've noticed DJ is, that it seems as though there's a whole lot of progressive stuff going on down there. And I, and I really don't know the roots of it, but I can only say that when I was there, you know, if a guy went out to play a game, I mean, even up until the last game we played and he had a little bit of facial hair, we heard about it, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and I'm watching this year. And, and I mean, it's just, I, I it was something that I'm like, Hey, we just need to relax this. Right. But I've seen hair coming out of helmets and obviously, I just feel like overall there's a little bit more progressive feeling. Um, uh, the the guys that that are being brought in, or you know, guys that are be given be given a chance. You know, graduate fifth year guys weren't even really in the discussion at all. Uh, we actually got turned down on several because they didn't meet the requirement. So I think all that stuff is is trending toward progression, and which is awesome. I think that place has been great for a long time, but I think it needs to progress and. I think this is just a big step in that direction, and I do believe that they've got the two guys. They're the perfect age, you know, to run the two programs, Kalani and Mark. Um, I think the the fact that they're coming into some, you know, some money with the Big Twelve, I don't think it's going to be that hard. I, I know what what the church always talked about was living within the means of what you're. You know, you've got a budget, and make sure you live within that budget, and if the budget gets bigger. You know, all the ask is going to be is to live within it. And so I would hope they'll take care of people because that's the one thing in my experience there, you know, it's the people that make the difference. I went back last week and I mean, I spent 10, 15 minutes hugging custodians and police officers and uh, ushers and people that I hadn't seen for a long, long time that have been there for years and years and years. Um, so it is the people that make it work and you got to have the right people in place, uh, at the top of that thing. And so my hope is that, that that's what will happen, but I kind of feel like it will. I, I think I feel like there'll be a kind of a change in, in perspective. So the relaxing little things without making a big deal and making it noticeable. Cause I've heard, I've heard that like, well, look at it player fill in the blanks hair and i heard it last year oh there was nobody on campus and so somehow they got away with it so to speak and it was a topic of discussion i think that's what's happening <laughs> yeah i just think you know it's kind of like the way I, I i tell this story all the time when i first got down there i wasn't quite sure but I hadn't been around it, right? I, I was a Utah guy, and I kind of went in there, and it took six months for people to believe I wasn't just an implant that was trying to steal information. I had to actually, you know, make sure that everybody understood I was there for a bit. Um, but, you know, I'm a I'm a big Diet Coke drinker, and I have the caffeinated type. And when I first got down there, there weren't caffeinated drinks on campus. So I bootlegged my own fridge in, and I brought them in. Um you know, and and I would go in the locker room after a game. I'd wrap that thing in a in a stat sheet. So you know, if the big guys, if the president <laughs> of the university or the brethren were in there, they weren't on, they weren't on to me drinking caffeine, right? Um, so one day I was walking in, I was wrapping it up, and President Samuelson happened to be behind me. And he said, what are you doing? Uh, I'm just wrapping this up because L. Tom Perry was in the 
locker rooms ready to speak to the guys. And he's like, yeah, come on, man. Like, President Monson drinks about 20 Diet Cokes or Dr. Peppers a day. Diet Dr. Peppers. I can't remember what, what his drink was, but that made me feel good. And But, yeah, I mean, and then when they, they made the big change, right, there's a big edict that, hey, we're going to have caffeine. It's all okay now. But I, I sense what you're saying, PK. There's not a <clears throat> there's not a press release with it all. I think it's just naturally kind of happening. And I, I think it's really, really good. Uh, I know there's a lot of people that – would disagree with me they want to keep it quote unquote special but i think it i think there's a lot of great things about it but i think as as we expose you know so much more of that to so many people that haven't been able to see it or be be kind of taken in down there i think it's going it'll only be a positive thing Tim, as always, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you again and we'll hear you on the jazz and the Raptors Thursday night seven o'clock. Sounds good. I, I did follow. <clears throat> I did follow Yak on Twitter. I've given it. I've known him for about ten years, but he's had earned my trust. And just so you guys know, I followed him last night. I saw that. I thought. It, I it. thought it was a hasty decision, but I don't want to. I don't want to second guess. You yeah. Know, you do you? I, I mean, I just didn't want him. It's okay though. Yeah, he came to my concert, so he earned it. He earned the follow. <laughs> there you go. Thanks. There is Tim Lacombe. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.